0: Where's your hunger level for God these days? Do you, do you hunger for more of God? I, I recognize that. Uh, I, I ask the question without judgment because I know that in the Christian life, as you've probably discovered too, that sometimes our hunger for God gets dampened by disappointments or it gets dulled by distractions or other things. But where, where are you tonight? Do you, do you hunger to know God more than you do now? To love him more than you do now? Can you and I say, as Paul did, because we've spent time with God, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Paul didn't write that because he thought he had to end his you know, section of the Romans with something inspirational. He had had tasted that. He had spent time with God so he could say that. And if not, you know, is there hunger in you to be able to say something like that? Can you say, like he did, everything else is worthless to me compared with the infinite value, the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. If something has to give, it's not gonna be that. And have you experienced what, what Paul means when he says, we speak, Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Where you're the learner, the Holy Spirit is the teacher. There's always, friends, there's just so much more of God for us to get to know. I don't care how long we've been a Christian, there's just more of God. It's waiting for us to experience, to explore, to worship. You're going to find more things to love God for. Now, Uh, That being the case, if if that's awakening something in you or expressing something for you, this evening could be important for you. Because the Bible readings tonight, the songs, and now this sermon focus on one of the most important truths and realities about God, which is God is Trinity. God is Trinity. But if it's one of the most important truths doctrines or truths about God, it's one of the most ignored. The late, great theologian J.I. Packer said, we don't talk about the Trinity, and pastors don't teach their people about the Trinity. And I think he was largely right. I grew up in church, I don't know what it was like where you grew up, if you happened to grow up in church, but that's how it was for me. We didn't get much that I ever remember on the Trinity. And you know what, I was actually fine with that because I used to think, look, no one can understand it, right, so I'm not gonna worry about it. I'll let the theologians mess with that because they have to publish in order to get tenure. <laughs> but now I have done a complete 180 on that. I really think it's essential for living a Christian life and, and knowing God as God really is, uh, The Trinity is is a truth about God that just calls out and and it's saying to us, there's so much more about God than you could ever imagine. There's so much more than you could fully understand or comprehend. Come on in. Wherever you're standing, the pool is deeper still. So to help us all kind of take some steps forward with God, toward God this evening, I want to, Just lay out five FAQs about the Trinity, all right? So here we go. Question number one. What do we mean when we say the Trinity? What exactly is the Trinity? I think the simplest way I could answer that is the nature of God. The nature of God. What's the Trinity? The nature of God. God wants to be known. It's one thing that's characteristic of the one true and living God. He wants to be known, so he has revealed all that you or I really need to know about himself, and he has revealed himself as Trinity. And so I can teach you the essence of the doctrine of the Trinity here in just four words, but I need, I need somebody who's good at hand motions. Uh, Isaiah, would you be up for that? No? No? Is there somebody else who'd like to volunteer? Sorry to put you on the spot, man. All right, come on up. You, uh, that's right, you are, are the uh, world's best clapper. Uh, so, okay, here we go. So you, you've got the hand motions. The first word is one. Okay, everybody hold up one finger, one. All right, there's only one God. Uh, thank you, you can put it down. The Bible was written... <laughs> This is great. This is better than a flip chart. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and that's saying a lot that's for me. Lot. I know, I know. Okay. <laughs> Listen, the Bible was written in a world where there was a multiplicity of gods. Every nation had a lot of gods. You could choose from Astarte and Baal and Zeus and Diana and Hermes. Every household had a lot of gods to choose from, usually many, many, many. So it was like a shopper's market for gods and in that world the writers of the bible say consistently from start to finish one god there's only one god in isaiah god says this i'm the lord there is no other apart from me there is no god so to believe in the trinity you and i have to believe there's one god all right next one to understand the second word is three one and three This one God is not lonely, not isolated. It's hard to talk about this mystery, but I'm doing my best. I think we just need to understand that God, in God's very nature, always has been, always will be three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not like he added on after Jesus ascended to heaven and then later added on the Spirit. No, God has always been this way. This is his nature. And you see it in the Bible in many places, like tonight's reading from Matthew 28. Jesus tells his disciples, go, make disciples of all the nations, and here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna baptize them in the name, one name. Which name? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So let's not miss this. Jesus is saying there's one name, but that name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right, so we've got one, we've got three, The next word is community. So just clasp your hands like this. Let's see them. Okay, community. God is a community of persons who are distinct. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. And we could run all the others. All right. But the fourth word, unity. Okay, clasp your fingers like that. All right. This community always lives in unity. They share the same nature. They're one God, all-powerful, eternal, to be worshipped. No one person of the Trinity has an ego problem. Nobody's going to get mad and quit the band. <laughs> the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live in unity as one God forever. All right, now those are your words. Let's try it again, all right? Everybody, One, three. Community, unity. All right, nice job, thank you. Now, (laughs) you know you're starting to get the Trinity when something opens up inside you and you go, whoa, God is bigger than I knew. There's more to God than I understood. There's more to God than I'm gonna understand. All right, now, second question. So that's question number one. What exactly is the Trinity nature of God? Question number two. Isn't the Trinity kind of a strange doctrine? Yes. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, you know, if Christianity were something we were making up, of course, we would make it easier. But it's not. We cannot compete in simplicity with people who are inventing religions. How could we? We're dealing with fact. So here, here are the facts people met Jesus and Jesus said things like I and the Father are one if you've seen me you've seen the Father and then he kept doing things that only God could do like he would walk into a funeral and stop the funeral because the guest of honor was no longer dead and then he he would forgive people their sins and prove he had the authority to do it by getting them walking again so so what do you do with that? And then here's some more facts. Then the Holy Spirit comes upon the early Christians and all of a sudden they find this indwelling power of God to prophesy, to heal, to cast out demons, to witness, and above all, to love and a crazy level of love never before seen in human history. And how do you explain all those facts? That there's only one God, yet Jesus is doing these God-like things, and the Holy Spirit is also God. So imagine this experiment. I lock you in a room with a Bible and as much pizza as you want, okay? But I take away your phone so you can't get on ChatGPT or look up anything on Google, all right? And I, I say, what I want you to do is just go through the Bible and come out with what the Bible teaches about God. I'll be back in a long while. So, okay, so you, you go through and, and, and as you read the Bible, you would find verses that said things like this. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Hmm. And then you would read verses that said things like this. How is it that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? You haven't lied to men, but to God. See the equation of the Holy Spirit and God. And when I finally opened up the door and cleared out all the empty pizza boxes and asked you, what did you learn about God? You would say something like this. Well, I maybe came up with the wrong answer. That's all I can figure out because the Bible's really clear. There's only one God, but it also teaches that Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God. It's like there's one God, but this one God is called Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when you said that, you'd be saying what every other Christian has said for almost 2,000 years. Question number three. The Trinity is not like anything we're really used to. Can you give an analogy to help us? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. It's interesting to me when you read the Bible how many metaphors there are for the church. The church is like Christ's body. We say it so often we forget it's, it's, it's metaphor, right? And then uh, the bride of Christ. Um, the city of Jerusalem. But I don't think you find a single analogy for the Holy Trinity. It's assumed, but it's not uh, given an analogy throughout the New Testament. Like you'll read in 2 Corinthians, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Okay. But somebody has to teach Sunday school. So over the years, Christians have come up with various analogies. And I'm sure you've heard them. Like, of course... Ice, water, and steam, they're all water, but they come in different forms, although that's problematic. Um, or St. Patrick taught the Irish people about the Trinity using the, the three-leaf clover, where you have three leaves and one clover. Psst, he never did that. Um, <laughs> but the problem with analogies like water and, and clover leaves, as far as those go, and Uh, I don't want to be too hard on them, but the Trinity, those things are impersonal. Water's impersonal. A clover leaf is impersonal. And the Trinity is not only personal, it's supercharged personal. It's personal with a capital P. So if you want an analogy for the Trinity, think about a time you experienced a community that was really loving. So, for some of you, maybe you were blessed. You actually have experienced that in a family growing up or, or maybe later. Um, and and it was, it, it, there have been moments of health and joy in that family where you felt love. Or maybe uh, it was a sports team you were on where one season everybody dropped their egos and really played together. And it was like there was something amazing going on. And it's like everybody had everybody's back. Or maybe it was a support group where you felt like I can really be myself here. I can be honest. And these people here are actually gonna support and listen and care. Or maybe it was a music group where you all got lost in the music. And and it was like everybody was together. Or maybe a church. Could it be that some of you could experience that here? That would be my prayer for everybody. All right. All right. But to experience the trinity is to enter into a community of love. So that's the closest analogy. Now, question number four. How much does the trinity really matter? Like what do we lose if we get it a little bit wrong? It turns out a whole lot goes wrong. It's like it's like the, I don't know, like the center of the engine or the, the gear that controls all the other gears. I'm losing, I'm not a mechanical engineer, so I'm blowing all these analogies. But you, you mess with that and it wrecks, like always wrecks something else. Theologi- uh, theologian Roger Olson put it this way. He said, the whole of scripture's witness to who God is and who Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are, Spirit are makes no sense at all without the model of the trinity. And all alternative concepts end up doing violence to some essential aspect of salvation, revelation, Christian experience, or possibly even reason itself. So let me just quote that again. All alternative concepts to the Trinity for God end up doing violence to something essential, something that we need. Well, that's saying a lot. So let me see if I can give you an example. Uh, sometimes preachers when they're talking about how God saves us can give an impression like this that God the father sort of stays in heaven and sends the son to do the dirty work of suffering and then at the son's moment of greatest agony as the song line says the father turns his face away right anybody heard all that or got okay now there's there's a problem with this telling right? It leaves us with nice son, bad dad, right? I mean, who wants to approach a dad like that? I don't, right? And it's all because this view of the Trinity ignores verses like God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So the father did not turn his face away because he's the rescuer in Christ, so if you are, have ever been moved by the suffering and sacrificial love of Jesus Christ on the cross for you, that's the Father's love. They're united. He says, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So you can't be pulling them apart and make them against each other. It does, you mess with the Trinity and all of a sudden you've done violence to something essential, namely the character of the Father. You took him from loving the world so much to not loving like he actually does. So here's what I recommend because getting the Trinity is, is right. We, we have a lot of sharp people here, so here's what I'm gonna tell you. If you ever feel in your gut, I'm not sure this teaching that I'm hearing is quite right. It feels like something could be off with it. Google Athanasian Creed or turn to the back of your Book of Common Prayer. Read it slowly, and see if this teaching measures up to it. If you're still not sure, of course you can ask me, and if I'm not sure, we have canon theologians and bishops and whatever. So here's the point. We can't know everything we need to know about the Trinity. There's an inherent mystery. But what we do know, we do know enough to protect it from distortions, and thereby preserve our faith. All right, last question. Question number five. Kind of the so what? How can we enter more fully into the life of the Trinity starting this week? Let me me throw out a few thoughts for you. Suggestion number one is accept the mystery. Don't worry that the Trinity is beyond your comprehension, that it's inherently a mystery because if you're a Christian, you're already living in the life of the Trinity. Right? God is your father. Jesus is your older brother. The spirit lives inside you and yet they're utterly one. Their love for you is one. Their purpose for you is one. Thankfully, you and I don't need to fully understand the Trinity to enter the life of the Trinity. Okay? Doesn't mean we shouldn't learn what we can learn, but we don't need to fully understand it. You know, uh, they tell me that deep within the core of the sun the temperature is 27 million degrees. You think tonight's hot? 20, <laughs> 27 million degrees. <laughs> now, the pressure there is 340 billion, blah, 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 billion, times what it is here on Earth. It's unimaginable. And in the sun's core you take this insanely hot temperature of 27 million degrees and this unimaginable pressure of 340 billion times whatever the pressure is here and those combine to create nuclear reactions and what actually happens so i read i'm not a physicist is that in each reaction four protons fuse together to create one alpha particle. But here's the thing, that alpha particle is 0.7% less massive than the four protons that were fused together to create it, okay? And this difference in mass, this lower lowering of mass, stay with me, gets expelled as energy. And after one million years through a process called convection, this energy from the core of the sun finally reaches the surface where it is expelled as heat and light. Now, all that is beyond me. But you know what? I don't need to understand that to get a tan. So you don't have to fully understand the mystery. Just accept it. Eugene Peterson put it so well. He said, the Trinity is not a mystery that keeps us in the dark it's a mystery in which we are taken by the hand and gradually led into the light. I love that. All right, after accept the mystery, my second suggestion is come to worship. For real. Here's why. Right inside our liturgical worship service, we have the words of Christians from throughout the centuries, and they all, they're so Trinitarian, just go through it. We start the service how? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? And then we're gonna say the creed, and the creed has three sections, one about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're gonna finish with the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, right? The point is, it's in worship that we really learn to pray to God the Holy Trinity. That's where we get the language, That's where we kind of get the feel for how that all works. All right, so worship, accept the mystery, worship, and then pursue God. Everybody has challenges in life, and those are real. But no matter your limits, no matter your suffering, there is more of God for you right in that place. In France, about 140 years ago, a girl named Elizabeth was born. And when she was seven, her dad died suddenly. As a girl, she had a terrible temper. And, but over time, she began channeling that passion (coughs) that had been coming out as anger, less and less into the anger and more and more into helping people. Like, um kids who were working in the factories, she would teach them little Bible stories and stuff like that. She finally decided as she was growing up that she liked that part of what she was her life and so she wanted to join a nunnery that was near her house. And her mom was like, that's the worst idea ever. (laughs) So she told her to just get married and settle down, which I can understand probably had a lot of value for the mom having lost the dad There probably wasn't a lot of economic security there, so let's not be too hard on mom. But Elizabeth had her own way of dealing with it. When guys would propose, she would turn them down. So finally, at age 21, she went into the convent and the people around her weren't quite sure what to do with her. There were several that just thought she really was not cut out for this kind of life. Um, And then she came down with Addison's disease Which had no cure. And so she began suffering a lot of pain. And uh, despite all this, though, the limitations she felt in herself, the losses she'd had in her family, the misunderstanding she got from people outside and inside the convent, the pain in her own body, she just like had this pressing on to know the Lord. She said, I find God everywhere while doing the wash as well as while praying. Wouldn't that be amazing for us to get, to get to that point where we just, we find God everywhere. The chores, the errands, and while praying. She died at age 26, which is way too, way too soon. But she left us this treasure. It's a, a prayer to the Holy Trinity and includes this line, oh my God, Trinity, whom I adore, may each minute carry me further into the depths of your mystery. Let me just say that one more time because I'm going to give you an opportunity. Pray this with me. Oh my God, Trinity, whom I adore, may each minute carry me further into the depths of your mystery. I wonder if that's your heart's desire tonight. If so, then I'm going to pray that prayer using Elizabeth's words out loud and you just pray along with me in your heart. Oh my God, Trinity whom I adore, may each minute carry me further into the depths of your mystery. Amen. Amen.